Today, we're going to take a look at an investor presentation from Acreage Holdings, just to give you guys an idea about the seven tips to a successful investment deck. To let you guys know, we always take a look at seven criteria. Number one being, does Acreage Holding identify their business plan goals? Two, do they know their audience? Three, do they understand the market? Four, have they identified needs and roadblocks? Uh, number five, have they, do they know what sets a business apart? Six, Will they introduce the team and products in seven? Have they created a summary and call to action? Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast to dive into Acreage Holdings investor presentation is Katrina Glugowski, angel investor and attorney. Katrina, thanks for being back with us. Thanks, Josh. All right, let's see, uh, see what we got here. I don't know how many slides we've got, but I'm guessing it's probably pretty deep. So... Uh, all right, first slide is their, their logo, forward-looking statements, and then investment highlights. So they're leading the multi-state operators, robust marketing opportunities, best-in-class operator with a defined growth strategy, financial excellence, and unparalleled access. Well, we all know acreage is huge, so this should be good. Yeah, just kind of give us a nice little milestone here, idea about what uh, what all they have. Starting with our favorite slide, the total addressable market. Woohoo! It's worth gabillions. Gabillions. All right. So, another little milestone here there, uh, our history. So, phase one from 2012 to 2017 was uh, an investment phase where they had a minority investments in cannabis operators focused on states with limited licenses. Phase two was uh, 2017 through 2018. With the hand or uh, they initiated roll-up strategy to gain a majority ownership, and then phase three was 2018 to present, integrating all of those assets into uh, you know one solid management team and nationalizing that expansion. All right, so moving on to their acreage footprint, um, they go coast to coast here, so um, breaks us down by state and the population, percentage of ownership and the number of licenses from uh, producers and processors and retail. So they've got 78 retail or dispensary licenses and a combination between producer processor 17 licenses. At least they have licenses, Josh, that's, that's a good sign. That is good. So some of them are vertically integrated. Some of them are just, you know, individual licenses, but it's definitely not an LOI or MOU of memorandum of understanding or letter of intent it means nothing. They are actually in business. So, Looking at some of their products and retail branding, some um, so by year end they're going to operate in 22 dispensaries across 14 states. So it looks like they're trying to get into more places in, or at least they have asterisks on Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, New Jersey, uh, Florida, and Maine. I, I like this idea of naming their dispensaries the same in every state. Uh, that that's wise. Uh, I I think that helps a lot with marketing. Definitely. So they do have a portfolio, though, allowing to build out differentiated brands, resonating with premium consumers, all the way down to brand offerings. So between. Um, you know, value and premium, novice to connoisseur, they're trying to add as many as they can, but it looks like the majority of them are between premium and connoisseur. 
Well, they're smart to do that. Uh, don't focus on, on the $2 pre-roll, but don't focus on the $400 Canagar either. Uh, th this is a wise marketing strategy. I would agree. All right. So some of those brands, the, the Botanist, it's a health and wellness brand. And then Superflux, that's their premium lifestyle. Prime is a medical cannabis brand. And then Kind Bill concentrates. It's the um, distilling the essence of cannabis. So Wild Bill something. <laughs> and then the Hag, that's cultivating the future of cannabis by preserving its past. Mm. The finest quality. It is important to maintain the old school strains. So that's good. All right. So it might be getting into some of their teams. So it talks about their co-founder, CEO, and board of directors. So John Boehner, he's the old speaker of the house who was anti-cannabis until somebody showed him one of those big old giant checks that he was walking around with. So after that, he's like, I am on board. I see <laughs> the light. Uh, interestingly, is Brian Mul Mulroney there, uh, the former prime minister of Canada. Uh, Acreage has some people behind them. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. I wonder if he's the same guy who's, um, there's, a, there's an old prime minister of Canada who's really into UFOs, and I think it's the same guy. Can't speak on that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't remember, but it's one of them, and it looks just like him. Maybe it is. I don't know. But moving on, the experience management team. Again, that's going to be uh, number six on our seven tips to a successful investment deck. And so they've definitely laid everybody out here, including the head of processing. We normally don't see that. It's a great way to poach uh, talent right here. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, their team involves a lot of people in finance. Uh, so what they're doing here is they are showing a potential investor the breadth of knowledge at this company. You have lawyers, you have finance people, you have media people. Uh, there's there's a, a judge here. Uh, you know, this is this the this panel of management is is what you as an investor want to see. Uh, it and sometimes we see individuals that are very narrow in skill set trying to run a, a large company and, and they can run into problems without the right team. And while th this team has a lot of names on it, uh, which are going to draw investors, of course, uh, it gives uh, our, our listeners an example of the breadth that a team needs. You need finance, you need media, you need legal, you need marketing. And this is a good example of that, Josh. Absolutely. Yeah, the CEO came from Wall Street. So it makes sense that he would stack people uh, in that role. So he has a chief financial officer, which makes sense because he's publicly traded. But on LinkedIn, I just saw a guy after 19 years finally decide to, uh, to hire a CFO and he wants to know who to hire. And I wasn't necessarily throwing my name in the ring, but I wanted to talk to him about it, mostly to ask him, why were you going to wait nine years? <laughs> I want to get you on the podcast and talk about your transition and, and why after nine years, you're finally just making that decision. But um, yeah, this is definitely a, um, a full grown company, you know, when you when you have a chief marketing officer and chief financial officer, 
uh, as well as the board of directors completely stacked from the CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield out of Massachusetts. You have insurance, you have uh, politics, uh, both in Canada and the US. So um, great way to, to stack a board uh, with experience management as well. So that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. As well as the grow uh, individuals uh, that are actually doing all the growing, they have knowledge as well. So this is great. Uh, this is this is a example so far that we should hold up. All right. So after 19 pages, they go into an appendix. Um, some of those are the numbers. So it gets into capitalization and share structure. I'd also like to note that they are on a stock exchange, which should also give individuals some confidence. Uh, being on the CSE means that they're regulated uh, and they have to file reports, uh, unlike some of the smaller places that we see uh, these people have to justify their numbers in, in some way. Yeah, if you're going to buy a, a security over-the-counter OTC, um, a lot of times they're not reporting anything. So definitely you want to make sure that they are uh, remaining compliant and transparent and that you're able to invest accordingly. Even if you're just gambling, <laughs> you want to make sure that you're doing it with, with a company who's at least pretending to, to stay on the up and up. So some of their uh, merger and acquisition status in California that's pending in Rhode Island and Florida, Connecticut, Massachusetts, all, all pending merger and acquisition status. So they are actively um, still moving forward. This, um, this deck, I think is from, from this year, is it not November? I'm assuming that's November, 2020. I think it's this year. I, I think so. Given the context. Yeah. Uh, but, but this is also an interesting strategy. Acreage does not go into state X that just licensed yesterday and build it from the ground up. Acreage is saying, all right, somebody has a license and somebody has got the ball rolling. Let's acquire them, uh, which you and I have been talking about is a much easier road than uh, starting from scratch. So they're, they're pretty smart there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, did, uh, a, we did a pitch deck review for um, one of the other major multi-state operators. And right after we did our pitch deck, they ended up changing their, um, their information. So within about a week of us launching, the um, Cureleaf pitch deck. Cureleaf had updated their pitch deck. So some people were asking us why we did a pitch deck from 2018. Um, and it was because that was the most recent one, even though on their website right now, it's showing that um, that it, they have one for available for 2020. This is from 2018. So what we saw was um, expectations for the last two years. So they obviously did expand, um, have been, and are a lot bigger than they were back then. All right. Having said all of that, let's take a look at um, the seven tips to a successful investment deck. Number one, did they identify the business plan goals? Yes. Uh, they want to grow into other states and acquire more, uh, more dispensaries and more uh, producer processors. So yes, I think they did identify the plan goals. Pretty hard to miss the goals. Either you're looking for money or you're looking to expand. So if you don't get that first one, then you're doing something really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, did they know their investor audience? 
I, I do think that they know their audience, uh, the names on the board, the, the team behind them, uh, they are trying to attract investor dollars. Uh, the, the way they provided some financials and uh, projections out of where they want to be. Uh, yes, I, I, I think they know their audience, uh, their, their investor audience. I would agree with that. Number three, do they understand the market? Given their dominance, uh, I think they have to get the point there. Uh, and I also like their strategy of acquisition as opposed to uh, starting from scratch. Uh, I think it's a wise way to get into the market that you and I have discussed before, Josh. So yes, I do think they do. Uh, understand the market. While I would, uh, while I would like some uh, sales figures for their various brands, uh, I, I think that's getting nitpicky. Uh, but yes, uh, they understand uh, what they're doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'll give them a full point for understanding the market. Um, you know, going after uh, connoisseur premium brands, I think is smart. You know, going after the garbage really isn't the way to go. What you need to do is bring the premium products down to more affordability, but you know, with time that, that price will, will come down. So give them a full point moving on to identifying needs and roadblocks. I don't think I really saw anything about um, potential roadblocks about moving into the US or otherwise. I, I think that they sort of did, but they did it with all those little asterisks and footnotes uh, as they go into other markets. Uh, so the information is there. Uh, and I think they did disclose possible, possible problems. Um, and uh, did they adequately disclose? I don't know. Um, and also, I, as they move into other markets, did, I, I don't know that they really brought attention uh, to that. But the, but the other thing, they didn't really talk about the, the federal issues that they face. Being a multi-state operator, uh, what, what does that mean uh, when it's federally illegal and, and you're branding uh, their, their dispensary, the botanist, uh, across the entire uh, uh, holdings of acreage? Uh, that can be great, as I stated, but it also can be bad uh, when the federal government looks at the botanist had a billion dollars of sales last year. Uh, it, it puts a little bit of a target on your back and uh, they didn't address that at all, Josh. So half a point from me. All right, number five. Do they know what sets the business apart? What makes them any different than another MSO? I think that they set themselves apart from the average cannabis business that we see, uh, you know, single state trying to raise $3 million, that type of thing. But I don't think they talked about their competition as far as CureLeaf or MedMen or, or any of the other large multi-state operators. So, okay, they, they have a percentage of the market. Who, who's number two? They, you know, they say we're the, we're the best, we're the biggest, um, but who are they comparing themselves to? So uh, they, they gave a lot of strategy and they gave a lot of 
what they already own, but there's not a lot of comparison with, with anyone else. So I'm going to give them a half a point there as well, Josh. Okay. I'd probably not give them anything for knowing what sets the business apart. It sounded like they were a decent multi-state operator, but I wouldn't know anything different from True Leave to MedMen, even as big of a dumpster fire as MedMen is. you got to explain how you're better or different. Uh, they did introduce a team, though. So if <laughs> if anything, you can take a look and see, okay, you have uh, an old speaker of the house, an, an ex-premier um, or president of, of Canada, you have um, members of insurance and finance and all of these mainstream, you know, corporate conglomerates and what you need. I mean, you need finance. You need to know about insurance risk management. You need to know about the political risk right now, today, as we're filming, the House is voting on the, uh, the Moore Act. So those are all things that people have been spending years waiting for to take advantage and having first mover advantages. So without that proper team and the proper products, you won't have that first place, you know, first mover advantages. So I would definitely give them a full point. They didn't really go into a lot of their brands. They went into, they did go into their brands, but not the brand products necessarily. They just kind of said, we do all of these things, but um, they did lay it out. I think they get a point and, uh, for, for number six, introducing the team and the product. Uh, and I would like to, again, encourage uh, our, our listeners uh, to take a look at their team. And, and again, you don't need these heavy hitters, but it, but it advises an entrepreneur of what a fully fleshed out team looks like. And, and you don't have to have the prime minister of Canada on, on your board, uh, but why did they pick somebody like that for their board? Well, for the government connections and, and, the, and the breadth of their knowledge. So maybe you can get a mayor or a former mayor or, or something along that, that lines. And of course, the finance, the law, the insurance, uh, all of these things should be considerations for the entrepreneur who is forming, uh, forming their own entity and building their own entity uh, up to a, to a, uh, cannabis dominant, uh, business. Mm -hmm. All right. And then number seven, creating a summary. Um, so did they create this get it back here? Did they create a summary with a call to action? I did not see an ask. I did not see a call to action. Uh, and Josh, if, if I heard you correctly, this, this deck is actually from 2018, not 2020. Is, was that correct? Yes. Uh, and, and the reason they may not have an ask or uh, a call to action is because they're trying to be safe about uh, the SEC rules of, of who can invest in a company and who can't and who, who, who is a qualified investor who is an accredited investor. And if this is out on the interwebs, uh, uh, if I was their risk management person, I would say, don't put an ask in it. Uh, so they don't have a, a call to action. They don't have a summary, but I understand why they don't. Uh, so I guess I'm gonna give them, give them a half a point. Uh, when, when, you're on, when you're on a regulated stock exchange, you have to be very careful of soliciting funds. So technically they don't, but 
I'm going to give them half a point because I know why they don't. All right. Well, I think I'm going to give them five out of seven. We're going to, we're going to compromise a little bit on some of those. We'll give them five out of seven. That's 71%. That's not too bad for, for acreage holdings, uh, latest investor presentation, according to what I found on their website, 2018, although in a week, they'll probably update it to 2020. <laughs> All right. Not too shabby. All right. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, Katrina Glogowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks, Josh. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.